I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans, where you are always welcome, even if your family is from a bad guy country. Weren't we all from bad guy countries at some point? Uh, remember how when we were kids, all the enemies in action movies would be Soviets or from Iran? Uh, yeah, I do, because nothing has changed. <laughs> Try being original, 2000 teens. Wait, is it teen? What are we calling this decade? Tweens? Ugh, are tween. we tweens? I don't. I think I just prefer to not name it and move on as quickly as possible. So this month, we are getting to the core of the Mashup Americans. We're talking about embracing your roots, finding your people, and the responsibility of raising the next generation of mashups, our kids. And for today's episode... We're talking about what it's like to have family and roots somewhere that your home country, hello America, sees as the enemy. <laughs> we have two amazing mashups, comedian and actor Maz Brani and chef and author Bonnie Frumkin Morales. Man, the 80s were not an easy time to grow up for some of our mashup friends. You've got the end of the USSR, the Tehran embassy hostages, and the Iran-Contra affair. That's a lot to contend with when you're seven and you just want to trade garbage pail kids. You mean trade garbage pail kids and not represent political enemies of the U.S.? <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're going deep into the complicated business of being a mashup American when geopolitics comes into the mix. I usually get all nostalgic at the end of the year, thinking back on all that happened and not wanting time to move so fast. And this is not one of those years. Uh, Bye-bye, 2017, and (laughs) hello, 2018. I love an even year. So to get set up right for this year, we need your help. Time is running out to make your tax-deductible donation to support the Mashup Americans. By supporting the show, you can help make sure that we can continue to tell the stories that represent you and us and the whole community. So head to mashupamericans.com slash donate to give at whatever level you can this season. You know, it's not easy to be a mashup kid. You know, we're trying to figure out how we fit in and with who, and sometimes we're doing it all without any other mashups around. It's not easy to be green, guys. Aw, Kermie. <laughs> <laughs> we are all grappling with our roots and reckoning with who we understand ourselves to be and how different that can be from how other people perceive us. Yeah, I mean, I just, I have such an intense recollection of being like 12 years old and growing up in the Chicago suburbs. And my, my dad would tell stories about why he and my mom ended up owning a convenience store, even though in Korea, he was an engineer and my mom was a nurse. And basically, it boils down to when they first immigrated to the U.S. in the 70s, he actually was working as an engineer. But his coworkers and his boss would be totally racist and say things like, I'm against the Vietnam War or I hate communists. And so he like never advanced in his career and then ultimately opted out entirely and became an entrepreneur. And I remember hearing these stories and being like, What? What are, what were they even talking about? What are you even talking about? Well, first of all, you're not Vietnamese. Yeah, I mean, A, I'm Korean-American, and I was born in Skokie, Illinois. Shout out, Skokie. <laughs> and uh, B, like, at the time, I was going to middle school. I had, like, just very excitedly gotten felt up at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> and, like, the most important thing in my life was my new Boys to Men tape. Like, how could the Vietnam War be the way that people see my family? That has always stayed with me, that disconnect, as like one of the first lessons in the difference in how I identify myself versus how others might see me. Not even just basic 
racism, but as an enemy. So intense. And as a kid to have that experience. Yeah. I recently learned something and I keep talking about it, as you know, incessantly. But (laughs) there is this recent study that shows that 50 percent of Latino characters in movies and TV are criminals. By the way, also fact is that almost 50% of the population in general in Los Angeles, where I live, is Latino. And, of course, it's not just from TV. It's our current administration literally calling Mexican rapists. It's just completely nuts. But even as a Latina and somebody around so many Latinos, this seeps into my psyche. So over Thanksgiving, we went to visit my father-in-law in San Diego, and we took a date night in Tijuana, leaving the mm, baby there. So fun. Mm-hmm, so fun. Um, it's just 16 miles from his house to the center of TJ. That's closer than the beaches to my house within L.A. proper. But I had all of this fear. What would happen? Is it safe? Would I be okay? Would we be okay when we get back to the baby? Spoiler alert, we were fine and it was so fun and easy and lovely and we ate the most delicious ceviche and everyone was so (laughs) warm. But I couldn't help but be aware of how much I was expecting something bad. Yeah. I mean, it's so scary when you start to think these things about your own community and yourself. Like we aren't immune to the villainization of our own people. And the more you hear these stories, like, the more you start to believe them. I think Randall Park actually said that to us, like, that the racism all around him got in him. And it's a lot of work to unwind that. And that was totally true for our first guest, Maz Jobrani. He even ditched a career in the law to become a comedian and actor just so he could start to change who an Iranian or an Iranian-American is in the eyes of kids like his classmates. So Maz Jobrani is Iranian-American. He's a 1.5-er, which means he came to the States as a little kid. Sadly for me, I didn't get to meet him because, as you might recall, uh, the day that we were supposed to interview him, I hit my head at the playground and I had to get staples in my skull instead. That was a bummer. (laughs) Yes, it was. But (laughs) Maz and I had so much fun. And even though we got a little off track with restaurant recommendations and other Angelino stuff, we still started the way we always do. How do you mash up? So my parents are 100% Iranian. I was born in Iran. And I actually, I did the Ancestry.com. And there was all these different percentages of things. Since my father was like from close to the Russian border, there was some Russian there. And there was some uh, European. And there was like a small percent of, of Jewish. Of and course. There, so there's all this mix. But it was like 90% Persian. So that's where I was born. And that's my mash. Your wife is Indian-American? Yeah, she was born in India, left when she was six months old, and then grew up in New York. I think we were both very Americanized, so we didn't really go, oh, wow, our cultures are similar. But I have seen and know that the cultures are similar, right? right? I mean, family is important. You know, I was telling my kids, Freddie Mercury, I think, his, his really? parents were Parsis. I go, those were Iranians that then moved to India. And I half-jokingly, I said, I said, you know, your mother and I, our courtship began, you know, centuries and centuries ago. Our people yeah. immigrated to their land, and somehow it's all intertwined, and yeah. it was meant to be. You moved here when you were seven, is that Six. right? Six. Northern to California. Marin County, right? Yeah. In my experience living in the Bay Area, Marin is very white. Marin's super white. And when you were growing up in Tiburon, which, by the way, 
it's shark in Spanish. It's just like tiburon. Yeah, but it's like tiburon. Yeah, tiburon. Uh, hey, where's this from? Tiburon. Yeah. So was that your experience moving from Iran? Absolutely. It was. It was not very ethnic. Growing up, I had one black friend. Yeah. There was a handful of Iranians there. That's um, how you ended up there. Kind of. Well, we ended up there because we first came to New York. And it was one of the coldest winters New York had had in a long time, late 1978, mm-hmm. December 78. So my mom said, no, no, it's too cold. From there, we went to Reno. Mm-hmm. My dad liked to gamble. So we're staying at the MGM Grand. He's mm-hmm. gambling. So my dad had another friend that was living in Marin in a, in a place called Strawberry Point, which is right next to Mill Valley. Yeah. Stayed with them. And from there, we moved to Tiburon, which is right next which to Strawberry is Point. beautiful. So when did you actually get the acting buff? Around the time I was 10... So like 1980 or so was around the time Eddie Murphy Mm. came on the scene at Saturday Night Live. And I used to watch, talking about staying up late, my parents didn't care. It wasn't, it wasn't a like, get to bed. It was like, just go in your room. That was yeah. it. Just go in your room. Do whatever you want in your room. So I'd sit there and I'd, I remember actually my dad had won this small, uh, in a raffle, this small black and white television. And they gave me the black and white TV. So I like had it in my room, this little box. So I'd sit there and I'd watch Saturday Night Live or Evening at the Improv or whatever. And I loved what he was doing, listening to his... There was a tape called Comedian, Mm. and then Delirious came out, Mm. and really wanted to be like him. He was just so funny to me. And then also maybe, yeah, maybe it had something to do with, like, not being white. Because I know that at a certain point, I had an affinity towards the Italian actors, because there weren't any Iranian actors. So the Italian actors were the closest to it. And then it was, like, The Godfather and and Goodfellas and all this stuff. Maybe it had something to do with with the looks, but also I just was entertained by it. I mean, to this day, I'm kind of turned off by, like, anything that's too Anglo. Like, if they're like, you know, it's the Queen's story. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, you know? No, no, and then they're like, you know, Vinny Boom Bats and the Big Boom Bang. You know, I'm like, I'm into Vinny Boom Bats and the Big Boom Bang. You know, I mean, to this day. Yeah. When was the first time you actually saw an Iranian or Middle Easterner on TV and were conscious of it? There was zero representation of Iranians on American television, except for Ted Koppel going, day 125. And I'm like, oh, oh And then hostage. later, Alfred Molina in Not Without My Not Daughter. Not Without My Daughter, I, yeah. That was a traumatic movie for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> but before that, there was, before that, for us, there was the Iron Sheik in the, in the WWF back then. Uh. So he was the wrestler. And he was the bad guy. And he was would, he actually Iranian? He was Iranian, but he yeah. was playing this character that was the enemy. You know, he wrestled against Hulk Hogan. So he would come out. Oh, it yeah, was, it was the Iron Sheik and this Russian guy named Nikolai Volkov. Mm. And so he'd come out and go, Iran number one, Russia number one, America, Puh! and he would spit. And then the crowd would go, boo, and then they would wrestle. So he was the bad guy. But it's kind of crazy how it all comes full circle again, the sort of who the evil people are oh, in yeah. movies, right? Because you have Hunt for Red October and all the kind of Tom Clancy stuff, and that's during the Cold War. So everybody was like, bad was a Russian. Yeah. And then you get to, um, you know, it's like all bad people are Arab terrorists, yeah. right? And now you're going to bring it all back again. Just get some R- Russian the bad greatest guys hits. Again. It's the greatest hits. It's kind of like, you know, Will and Grace is back, and yeah. so are Iran and Russia. Yeah. You know, exactly. You've You're got right. that axis of evil thing, just really, oh. right? <laughs> yeah, I actually did a bit about I did a bit about how I go to my kids' school a lot now for activities. And uh, and I said I was at their school for like a fundraiser and I realized, wait a minute, my parents never came to my school for fundraising. And then I said, wait a minute, as an immigrant, I realized I didn't want them to come to my school because when you're an immigrant and your parents show up, they out you. So like they walk in like, hello, we are immigrants. And you're like, dad, <laughs> shut up. You know, like they thought we were Greek. And, you, and your dad's <laughs> going like, you know, in Iran, we also had fundraising. You're like, dad, nobody likes Iran. And that was 40 years ago. 40 years, and we have not been able to change our image 
in the general American public. What the what? How what did that happen? You we know? need a makeover. We'd, extreme makeover. You know, Iran. Terrorist country edition. Hilarious. That's great. You know what we need? <laughs> Muslim ban edition. We need like we need someone from Coca-Cola to come in and like be like, we got the new Coke, we got the new Iran. Yeah, you know? exactly. Zero calories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Maz, you know, you also in your recent special in Immigrant, you also spent time calling people out in the audience of like where are they from? Yeah, part of it was the the title immigrant was to show that oh there's all these immigrant cultures here. They're laughing here tonight at the same things and they have a sense of humor and they're not that boogeyman that Donald Trump would make you think they are. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go around the room and find out how people from different places say fart. And Ugh, that's that it. That was the best part. <laughs> it is so funny to hear how people say fart and then to watch people turning red as they're saying fart. I also, love it. the woman who taught how to say balls, balls in, in sign, sign language. language. Did yeah. you know that was coming? I, I don't know. Any, so, that's the, what's great for me too is I don't know what's coming. Yeah. The fact that uh, in England they say fart, they say Trump. I didn't oh, know that so until I was good. doing it one night and some lady goes, I'm British. Ask us. Ask me how we say fart in England. And I was like, how do you say? I thought it was just fart. And she's like, no, we say Trump. What is your favorite language to swear in? I love swearing in Persian. It really is. Like, we're very um, descriptive. Yeah. Like, the F word in English, uh, in Persian, you actually describe the act. Really? I'm going to do, I'm going to stick this thing into your thing. Really? We uh, actually say it. That's and it's the best. Awesome, you know. Finally, do your kids speak um, Persian, Farsi? I've taught them words. I've taught them a couple of phrases, but they don't speak it. And it's one of my biggest regrets right mm-hmm. now. But to me, language is so important. It really opens up worlds. I've told them, I said, listen, if you learn other languages, you can make friends in those places. So I want them to learn Persian. I want them to learn Spanish. And then I want them to just go from there. But we and haven't also really... we can do really good cursing. That's oh, really like that's cursing. I think we got to give that to your yeah. nine year old son. Yeah. Be like, listen, if you commit to learning Persian. Yeah. I've got some really good cursing. 13th for... <laughs> birthday. It's coming. <laughs> Oh, man. What Maz says about not wanting to be outed as Iranian, it's so real. We're Iranian at home, but we got to hide that in front of white people who think we're all terrorists. (laughs) It's basically a version of using our outside voices versus our inside voices. Like how we are and who we are when we're with our tribe is different sometimes than how we might present to those not in our tribe. Right. Last year, we went deep on this. You know, also, when do you feel responsible for your other tribe members' actions? If you take credit for their successes, right? Oh, my gosh. Look at that, Korean. Um, And do you also have to take responsibility for their failures? Well, anyways, you guys should check it out because Amy told a really powerful story about learning that the shooter at Virginia Tech was Korean. Uh, Did I weep in a way that was uncomfortable for our producer and all of the engineers? Yes, I did. It's a theme, Amy. (laughs) Well, you know, I think the protection that we make for ourselves when we feel some of that discomfort with our tribe and how our tribe is seen in the current culture is that we negate it. Like in advance of somebody putting us down, we put ourselves down first. Bonnie Frumkin Morales is a chef who is Russian and Jewish, and her restaurant Kachka celebrates the beauty and breadth of cuisine from across the former Soviet Union. But when she was growing up, she wouldn't be caught dead eating or enjoying any of it. Let's get into it. Bonnie, how do you mash up? I am a first-generation Russian-Jewish-American. Uh, 
woman chef restaurateur to the mix. It's too many hyphens. That's a great amount of hyphens. <laughs> Where do you feel most at home? In my home kitchen, probably. I guess any home kitchen. I love being in my parents' kitchen. There's just something really calming and like it feels like second nature. What's always in your fridge? Hot sauce of all sorts, Russian mustard, sour cream, smithana, pickles, uh, some sort of black bread, always black bread. I mean, I know that you have a Russian restaurant, but I'm also getting that strong vibe from your refrigerator. Yeah, you know, I mean, we practice what we preach, I guess. <laughs> Did you ever try to get away from your Russian roots or hide it a little? Like, Absolutely. I remember if there was a certain dish my mom was making that night for dinner to make a point to, like, not invite my friend to stay mm. for dinner. You know, if it was, like, boiled tongue. You don't want to stay. Like, you should probably go home and have your hamburger helper. Growing up in a Korean house, we ate poached tongue with gochujang all the time. Oh, that sounds delicious. It's so good. When I yeah. eat tongue in a Jewish deli, how how is that prepared? It's been boiled. Uh, I mean, poaching is just gentle boiling. Yeah, it's like a soft boil. These never are soft. Let's just say <laughs> yeah, they, no, they my, taste like you're eating mother, a tongue, which I love. Don't get me wrong. My mother doesn't understand, like, she doesn't understand a simmer. Um, but, like, it's like a full <laughs> rolling boil. And it all turns out delicious. But my, like, professional cook self's like, Mom, don't you want to turn that heat down? Let it go a little slower. <laughs> now you've spent your whole <laughs> life trying to emulate me. Maybe you should just do it like me, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, see, I told you. Also, like, looking back, it's heartbreaking, right? Yeah. I spent all my childhood and, and young adulthood getting as far away from that as I could. I remember, so I was dating a guy in college, and he's um, from central Illinois, and his mom is like Martha Stewart. She would make these amazing meals, and she was also the home ec teacher at the school in this town. I remember, like, learning to cook from her, not from my mom. Because I thought that that was, like, the real stuff. I mean, it's nice and tasty and all, but it's not – that's not me and it's not my food. The only thing that really kind of brought me back was um, my husband, who's not Russian at all. Um, when we were dating, we would, like, go over to my parents' house for dinner. And I do, like, that spiel of, you know, you probably want to come fed. Like, this food is going to be gross. Just, like, ignore it. I'm really sorry. And he was like, that was amazing I want more of that. Mm. So we started going over to my parents' house more and more as we were dating more. And, like, my mom started getting really into it. And she'd, like, whip up things that she hadn't made since, you know, before they immigrated or since, like, you know, before the low-fat 90s came around. And um, <laughs> I just remember the 90s being one sea of, like, baked chicken breasts. Yes. With nothing. And snack wells. Yes. I used to eat like yes. a whole tray of those. Yeah, obviously. And be like, oh, but it's fat free. No problem. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, he like, he wanted to get into it. And what's your husband's background again? He most strongly identifies with being Mexican. I mean, his last name's Morales. He also spent the first four years of his life in Mexico. And so like, yeah, I mean, but he also like his German-European side of the family ate a lot of sauerkraut, and, like, he identifies <laughs> with some of those flavors. And I started thinking about it through his eyes more and being like, well, maybe I'm the crazy one that right. thinks this food is gross, and it's not actually gross. I'm just being stupid. And But it's so hard. Like, that tension between both, like, yearning for a connection that you're, the rest of your family had, but you were the only person that was born in the States, and then also being like, uh, I don't want... I don't want the Americans to be, like, scared off by my boiled tongue. I still want to just be friends with people. To then, like, becoming an adult and being like, ah, wait, wait a minute. 
I can be proud of this and not actually try and like hide it under the rug. Yeah. I still, even now, being like totally like okay with the food, I find myself, if I talk to just somebody in the course of running a restaurant, you know, like a banker, somebody who I think might not be as into food or might be a little bit, you know, like not as adventurous. If they ask me about the restaurant, I like have this thing in the back of my head where I'm like, oh, but you're not going to like it. You know, mm. and I have to I have to like catch myself from that. So why did you open Kachka? Because we're idiots. Yeah, because we're idiots. <laughs> I really want to do the hardest job. So my husband and I met in restaurants, but we were like, we're never opening a restaurant. We'll work for other people. But we the reason that we opened it is that as we started to learn more together about food from my culture, we were like, it's so frustrating that it's so poorly represented or oftentimes misrepresented, or there's just negative representation, just like started to really bum me out. And I felt like since no one is saying anything about it, that I ha- I just like I had to. So that's what drove us. In your book, you describe that at first when you were describing that you're going to have a Russian restaurant. Not that it wasn't making excuses, but feeling like you really had to explain that to people. Oh, yeah. People being like, what kind of food? If they know something, they'll be like, oh, that's borscht, right? Well, yeah, there's like 20 different kinds of borscht. What's an ingredient, let's say, that's across the former Soviet Union or that can tell the story of of that empire? I mean, I don't think that there is one. I mean, you're talking about, what, one-fifth, I think, one-sixth of the world landmass. I mean, you have permafrost all the way to, like, Mediterranean climate. I mean, things that transport, obviously, tell that story. Sprots, for example, are a tiny little fish from the Baltic Sea. Mm. But the entire former Soviet Union has sprots and, like, has a memory and love for sprots. Sunflower oil um, from Ukraine is, like, prized all through the former Soviet Union. And the thing about the Soviet Union, there was this whole Sovietization campaign. I mean, there's obviously lots of negatives and people died But uh, there was a lot of just, like, plugging and moving pieces around. Like, I didn't even understand that Belarus was a country and that that's where my parents were from until I was, like, maybe 25. Before that, I would just say my parents are Russian. They'd be like, we're not Russian, we're Jewish. I'd be like, no, 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 but you're Russian. They're like, well, kind of. We're Soviet. And I, like, didn't understand what they were talking about. I was like, no, but you're Russian. And so, like, even when I say that our book, that my book is a Russian cookbook, like, I say that and I cringe at the same time because it is and it also isn't. And, like, when I say Russian, there's, like, this huge asterisk tied to it. Right. Your parents, when you say you're Russian, they're like, we're Jewish or you're Russian, we're Soviet. But when they're identifying as Jewish as, like, an alternative to, like, a a nationality, how did that play out in their their lives? I mean, it— it was a nationality. Their, like, official documentation, the nationality was Jewish. The Soviet Union was incredibly anti-Semitic, and that's one of the reasons that they left, probably the main reason. I mean, there were whole opportunities that were not available to somebody that was Jewish. Not officially, but you talk to anybody who's Jewish from that time period, and they'll tell you about how they didn't get on the basketball team or how they weren't accepted into this university or they didn't get that job because they were Jewish. Well, so how do your kids identify? I would definitely say that if my children were to identify with either of our cultures, they'd probably say that they were Russian. But I don't think that they see it that way at all. I think that they just see themselves as American. 
I mean, well, my younger son is one and a half, so like he's not <laughs> he's not there yet. He's just barely entering into consciousness right now. <laughs> right. But like uh my my older son, we just this year were like, wait a minute, I'm not religious, but I went to Hebrew school and I had a bat mitzvah and also like my parents they they always say like we moved our entire lives so that you could be Jewish. And so like mm-hmm. to not give that to my children, I would I feel like I am just sort of dishonoring them. What is your experience in watching the news right now? Or like hearing oh. just about this cloud of Russia? It's been too long since Russians were the villains in Bond movies. I feel like we have to bring it back. We're bringing it mm-hmm. back. Tom Clancy is like, thank God I've had Hunt for Red October 4 in the works. <laughs> it's so interesting with having a, a restaurant with cuisine from that place uh, where I kind of cringe every time because, like, my voice inside's like, but that's not me. Just don't associate mm-hmm. me with that. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, we have a portrait of Lenin on our wall at the restaurant. And that causes a lot, not a lot, a lot, but there are people who see that and are like one star on Yelp. You know, like, I couldn't stand seeing Lenin watching me eat or something. I'm like, well, okay. Like, yes, not a good guy definitely not a good guy and we're not celebrating him at all but my grandmother who is like Jewish was nearly killed multiple times during World War II you know life didn't get that much easier post-World War II I mean like Soviet Russia was so anti-Semitic she was in the Communist Party like a big part of the Communist Party and like huge Stalin lover so like she had a portrait of Lenin in her house and that's just like that people of that era in the Soviet Union these were their figureheads. And so, like, we have a portrait of Lenin because that's what you would see if you go into somebody's house in, like, 1960s Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like we're just trying to, like, have that conversation and bring that to light rather than, like, celebrate the dude. The whole idea of the restaurant is it's like I am sort of jealous of my whole family and extended family. I'm, like, the one person that didn't come from the Soviet Union. I was born here. But everybody else went through this experience except for me. Mm. And, like— Part of the restaurant is just me hashing that out and being like, no, me too. Totally. I really appreciate the fact that you're able to, like, say, hey, it sucks that I missed out on some of my Russianness. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, that's why I have Lenin in my restaurant. You yeah. know, it's like that's it's a way of honoring people, even though it might be controversial. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Representing your people is one of the best reasons that you can do anything and just to do yourself and, and your and your roots strong. What do you hope that your customers and that your guests take away when they finish a meal with you? It depends on the person, I suppose. But your average sort of restaurant goers, right, just like urbanites, I hope that they take away, you know, hey, this this is like – a cuisine I should be taking seriously. Sometimes I see on Twitter and stuff like things I never thought I'd say before, I'm craving Russian food, you know, after they Mm. eat a kachka. And so, like, that's awesome. And I love that. And then the people that come in that are, like, first generation, second generation, the, like, sort of I haven't tasted these flavors since my grandmother cooked them when I was a child. I just want to thank them for, like, bringing that back into their lives. And I want them to, like, just keep that feeling and like keep going with it i'm really proud that we could get snack wells into the conversation here i mean i wouldn't touch them now 
no shade, but I would, however, get down on some boiled tongue, especially if Bonnie made it. Now that is some delicious food. We really need to get something into the rider where our guests bring us the scrumptious food they talk about because I always leave extremely hungry. <laughs> so true. Well, I'm so glad that that's where we leave things today, wanting more from two incredibly rich cultures and getting to know two rad mashups through their own stories rather than through the caricatures in, say, a James Bond movie. I love a James Bond movie, and I really hope that Idris Elba is the next Bond. But yes, I agree. Learn about people through real stories. Ask questions. Try the food. I think try the food should just be baseline for human interaction. Just eat it. That's our mantra at Mashup HQ. Eat that food. (laughs) And in the spirit of embracing our roots, we want to take a moment to shout out the people who helped us. For me, shout out to my parents, Mia and Michael, for always being incredibly proud and clear about who they are. You're the dopest. And for me, shout out to my big sister, Sandy, and to my cosmic sister, Cindy, for showing me that, like, Korean girls, I wasn't a weird one. We were all just actually being ourselves. You're not weird at all. The mashup (laughs) Americans are me, Rebecca Lehrer. And me, Amy Choi. Our producer is the great Lizzie Jacobs, and she had production assistance on this show from Mitra Banshahi. Music this week by DJ Rob Swift and A Lot Moment. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio KPCC. And please consider supporting our show at mashofamericans.com slash donate. Bye. Bye.